Well, you ready to get started? Yes. <laughs> well, grab all your Bible and say this with me. Say, this is my Bible. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. I declare this morning, my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I'll be taught the Word of God. And I'll never be the same again. Open up your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Samuel 18. If you're still learning your way around the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament uh, starts with Genesis and 1 Samuel is in the Old Testament. So if you're looking for it, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, all right? And so, um, you know, we've been looking the last few weeks, and this will be our last Sunday on this, on this series, about, you know, those, those people that if you're in a season or you feel like that you're being mistreated in different situations, to kind of look at some reasons why people do that. You know, last week we looked, and some people just because they feel entitled, they don't know how to be grateful, or, or they've never, you know, nobody's ever shared them, or they haven't been impacted in a way and made a decision to be people that are grateful instead of living with expectations, that they meet the expectations of people. And so... Um, and so they live with a sense of entitlement, and as a result, they're just, they're never, what you do for them is never enough. Well, today, we're going to look at people that deal with insecurity. And, you know, insecurity is a wild thing. I've said this, that like I know in my marriage, that there's not a relationship that's revealed or, or to me my own insecurities more than my marriage. I don't, I don't have a relationship on the earth besides my relationship with the Lord that's been more beneficial, more fruitful to me, and also the one that's grown me more than anything. Any married people that you could say that your marriage has grown you more than any other relationship in here? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Now look at the spouse and go, that, that's a positive thing. Don't be upset. That's a good thing, you know. So anyway, it's, it is a good thing. And so, um, you know, a lot of times when people do things to us, it's because they're insecure, you know. And sometimes when we do things to people, it's because we're insecure. We're not exempt from that. And so we're going to read some accounts about a guy in the Bible named David. He was a historical figure. He wasn't a fairy tale or some kind of, you know, mythical uh, figure. He was, he was historical. This, this person actually existed. Many of you have probably heard about the encounter that elevated him in the eyes of a nation when he fought Goliath. David, as a shepherd boy, took on this battle-hardened soldier that was so huge that he was a giant, like over nine feet tall. There's been something where people said, well, you know, he had all these disabilities. Well, if he had all those disabilities, why were the other soldiers afraid to fight him? And this guy was a hardened soldier that had a history of killing people in battle. And even the king wouldn't stand up against Goliath. And David, as a teenager, stood before this battle-hardened soldier with confidence that God would help him because he had a history of God helping him before. And he knew that the God that helped him then would help him now. And so his confidence, his faith was upon that. Well, that took place. And so he was promoted in the eyes of a nation. He was promoted in the eyes of the king. And we're going to pick up kind of from there after all this happened in 1 Samuel 18, verse 5. It says this, whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. Everybody say successfully. successfully. So Saul would say, hey, man, I need you to do this. And David would go do it. Not, not to make the king look bad or anyone. He did it successfully, just like the king would want it done. And so he did it so well that so Saul made him a commander over the men of war an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, talking about Goliath, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands. 
Now, if you're insecure, you love the way this song starts out. They come out on the streets, Saul's killed his thousands. That's probably exactly how it went to just more of a feminine sound. And so, you know, they're, they're singing that. And so Saul's probably pretty good. And then they went to verse 2. And he didn't like verse 2 nearly as well as he liked verse 1. And this is what verse 2 sounded like. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye. Everybody say jealous eye. He kept a jealous eye on David. Now, think about this for just a moment, that everything that David did at that point was at Saul's request. He did it on Saul's behalf, and it says that he did it successfully, meaning that it, he did it exactly like he was supposed to, and it made, you know, and it was good for the kingdom, good for Saul. But Saul had this element of insecurity in him that, you know, I don't know whether it was an issue if he felt like he never belonged or anything like that, but for whatever reason, he was threatened by David's success. Now, David had not done anything to Saul to make him feel threatened. There was not anything that he did to him to make him feel that way. So Saul had this insecurity that David didn't create. Let me just say this, and, and again, whether we're talking about marriage or other relationships, you know, part of the challenge whenever we run into somebody's insecurity, we feel the pain of it, but we didn't create it. It was created long before you came in their life. And yet, whenever we get too close to somebody's insecurity, man, the response sometimes is just like, it, it's baffling, it's questioning. But we have to keep in mind, I, I remember years ago, when I was like 14 years old, it was many, many years ago, I was, I was mowing lawns to make a little extra money, and I had a, an ingrown toenail that got infected. And I know that right now, this is kind of like, some of you are thinking about lunch, and that just left you. But anyway... And, and it, was, it was so incredibly painful. And, and you don't realize how many times people bump into your feet and step on your feet until you have something like that. I mean, to the touch, it was painful. It would, it would just send me jumping or whatever. And so I became incredibly aware of it. Matter of fact, I'd be in somebody's presence and my first thought was not, what are they saying, but how close are they getting to that? And so I would constantly be moving from it. And that's the way an insecurity is, that, that it's a wound that you carry. And then all of a sudden, anytime that people get close to it, they may not even be aware and usually aren't, we react. We respond. And so right here, David begins to do these things. When he fought Goliath in reality, if you understood their culture back then, that should have been a battle that Saul stepped on the field and goes, I'm the king, take me on. But he didn't do that. He hid with the rest of his men. So David wasn't doing it to show up Saul, and yet as David began to have success as he trusted God, Saul's insecurities began to cause him to view David as an adversary. You know, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul wrote this, and, and we can quote the first two things. One of the things it says was, it says, weep with those who weep. Those when we're around somebody that's in a period of mourning, sometimes people say, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Well, maybe you're not supposed to say anything. Just weep with them. Mourn with them. Sometimes we'd be way better off than doing that and try to say things. So sometimes the things we say when people are in, in an incredibly deep grief are really stupid. Sometimes we're better off just, it's okay to not know what to say. I'm just going to, you're my friend and you're hurting. I'm going to weep with you. Then it says this, rejoice with those who rejoice. Dude, if you're happy, I'm happy. But then the third thing it says, and for those who are honored, it doesn't say you're honored too. 
For those who are honored, be glad. Be glad. In other words, don't let your flesh say, well, why them and not me? How come they get this? I should get that. Why do they get to have that? Why do they get to do that? Why do they get to be that or, or drive that or whatever? Why do they get to have that? No, man, be glad for them. It's a decision. Be glad. And so Saul, in his insecurity that David didn't create, he was so insecure that any time that somebody began to get recognition, he viewed them as a threat. And the reason why some people mistreat us from their insecurities, number one is this, is because insecurity causes us to see anyone as a threat. Anyone as a threat. Anyone that you encounter, anyone that you're dealing with, it causes us to see anyone as a threat. And so there could be people in your life that, that they do things, they're petty, they're, you know, they, just, they never celebrate you, that any win that you have, they find fault with it. They minimize it and diminish it. Well, it, a lot of times it's because in their own insecurity that they haven't made a decision to celebrate with you. Now, let me just say this, because I think this is true, can be true for all of us, is that not only can we be on the side where we're mistreating somebody because of our insecurity, but, but all of us have our insecurities too. It may not be the same. And so I think we have to sometimes look at ourselves and when things bug us to make sure that it's not coming from a place of pain that have really nothing to do with that moment. I know in my family, you know, we're loud, we get together. I mean, really, if you, if you get with us, it, it's just loud. I mean, it's just, it's loud, you know, it's, it, it's loud. And so, um, uh, you know, and not just the kids, I mean, we're, we're all loud. And we're, you know, we're, we are, we're, we use sarcasm with each other. And the majority of the time, I, I think this is true. I, I mean, and I know that, you know, that, uh, you know, David was raised in our home and then we've got Kyla up here and she married in our home. We got, you know, Zach and Bailey that we consider them part of our family and that kind of stuff. So they've been around us and I don't know if this is how they feel, but the majority of the time we're just, we're just being fun. It's just fun. And I can't speak for anybody else, but I know that every now and then if somebody kind of irritates me or frustrates me, that my sarcasm is not, no longer for the purpose of fun it's masked hostility. I'll say something, and people kind of chuckle, but it's kind of an uncomfortable chuckle, like, oh, you know, and I'm like, did, did you mean that? What do you think? You know, I mean, it's kind of one of those things that, that you do. And so, so the, the problem is that all of us can be that person that if somebody gets too close to that insecurity in our life, that we can respond, even if it's veiled, in a hostile way, in a hostile way. And so we have to understand that, that whenever we're operating from insecurity, no matter who created it, that when somebody else gets close to it, that we can view that person as a threat in our relationship for anything. So number one is this, is that to understand when somebody mistreats you because of their insecurity, insecurity causes us to see anyone as a threat. Let's, go, let's look at 1 Samuel 24, and as the account of this takes place, a lot of 1 Samuel is, I mean, obviously it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it's historical in what took place. So as time goes on, Saul continues to pursue David. And, you know, at different times he, he gets close to him. David ends up having to leave the palace. He goes out into the wilderness, finds these caves to take refuge in. His own family comes out to him. Eventually it says that people that were in debt, in distress, and discontent came to him and began to follow him and began to surround his life. So he is, you know, he's, he's running from Saul, trying to, you know, keep from getting captured by Saul. So in 1 Samuel 24, verse 1, it says this, After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, 
he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops. This was their SEAL team, their rangers. 3,000 elite troops uh, from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. So they, I mean, it was an intentional pursuit with the best that Saul had. That's how big a threat he viewed David as. So it says this, um, at the place where the road passes from some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. That's not a misprint, and you did read that correctly. He went into a cave to relieve himself, but as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now, I think that what happened was Saul relieved himself. <laughs> uh, anyway, he relieved himself, and then he, he, he needed a good nap after that. So anyway, he took a nap, and, uh, and then so it says that um, I was going to go further than I should, so, but I'm not going to. Anyway, so it says that the place where the, they said that as happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in the very cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So again, imagine that Saul's not just after David, he's after all of these guys that are with him, and he goes into this cave that has some death behind, and so they're like, oh my gosh, that's Saul. And he, Saul's not aware that he's in a cave where all these men are, and then... Uh, he does what he needs to do, and then, uh, and then you know, I think he lays down and that type of thing. And his men are like, this is your chance. God's brought him here. Of all the caves he could be in, he's in this cave, the one that you're at. Do it. Do it. God's done this. Your enemy's in your hands. Take his life now. He'd do it to you. If the situation reversed, David, don't tell me he wouldn't do it to you. He would do it to you. Do it now. Can you imagine the pressure on this guy that has these lives in his hand? And he's faced with a guy that's leading this powerful army, this powerful force that's pursuing him. And if the situation were reversed, he would do it. So I picture David crawling forward on his hands, just being really quiet. And it says, so David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. So David's really entertaining. Yeah, do it, do it. So he goes forward, maybe he takes out his knife or whatever and just cuts off a piece of the robe. And I don't know why he didn't strike him. You know, at first just strike him. But there's something about it. It was just probably this conflict on the inside of him that we've all faced at times where we feel pressure to do something. And maybe even people that love us are pressuring us. Yet on the inside, we just have a sense in our heart that it's really not right. And so sometimes we don't fully step over the line. We just go... A little ways. And so he, he cuts it off. But look what immediately happens when he does that. It says that, but then David's conscience began bothering him. Because he had cut Saul's robe, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one. For the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. You know, not to this degree, but probably in all of our lives, we've had those moments where somebody's hurt us, they're coming after us, they've taken advantage of us, they're critical of us, they've done all of those things, and we wrestle with each one of those things. And, and I don't know about you, but sometimes, man, if I'm not careful, I, I fall into the same trap where I want to get back at them. I, I know this, I know everybody has their own arena that they have to deal in 
And, you know, and I, I'll share with you from my arena, but I want you to know in no way am I impl- implying that you don't deal with this too. It may be in a different arena, but we all deal with this stuff. It's life. But one of the things that I've always kind of amazed, I mean, that I didn't, I didn't know when I got in ministry that sometimes, you know, I'd, be, I'd face with situations and I was, I was amazed sometimes at, at the stories that people would share that supposedly had an encounter with me. I remember one time that when I was doing youth ministry that, that this lady that came to our church, she said, I work with this guy. And she said, do you know him? And I said, I, I don't know who that is. And she said, well, he said that you guys had this encounter and that um, uh, you guys were at an event together and that uh, some things that you did there, they, they, I mean, they were, they were clearly wrong. And I said, well, I, I don't know who that is. And I never did that. And I said, what's his number? And she says, number? See, I'm going I'm to call him while you're sitting here. We're going we're to get him on the phone. So she gave me his number and I called him and I said, hey, I'm, I'm Rick Burke. I'm the youth pastor at such and such church. And I'm sitting here with so-and-so and they said that you said this. And he got quiet for just the longest minute because, oh my gosh, they totally misunderstood me. I'm like, well, that was pretty clear what you said. I don't know how they could misunderstand that exactly. I mean, and we just went through this moment and, you know, and he wanted to blame her and all that kind of stuff. But I just told him, I said, in the future, um, you know, just tell me. I mean, you know, you, you, you want to Will Smith the guy and keep your name out of my mouth. You know, I mean, it's what you want to do. But... But that's just not right, you know? I mean, it's just not the right thing to do. And so, um, so we, have those, we have those moments. And it's just really easy to get, to just fall into the same trap. That they respond from a place of insecurity, so I respond from a place of insecurity. And, and it's never a healthy place for me to be. Now, I read those verses that Jesus said in Luke 6, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them which despitefully use you. And there's something about them that's soothing to my soul when I'm not in conflict. I read that and it just brings peace to me. But, but can I tell you that whenever I have somebody coming after me, that, that, and especially when, when they're lying about me and they're saying things about me that aren't true, that I, I want to disqualify those verses in that moment. You see, these are great verses, but they don't apply here, and here's why. And I have to remind myself that just because this is an uncomfortable moment doesn't mean that these verses don't apply. As a matter of fact, the fact that it is uncomfortable probably means that this is especially the place that they apply. Because Jesus had to tell me what to do when it was uncomfortable because I would not instinctively want to do that. And if you're in one of those situations right now where somebody's mistreating you, then the temptation that you'll have or the test that you'll face is that your insecurities will want to kick in. And begin to respond. And sometimes the circumstances almost feel like you're justified. David's men. God's done this. He's delivered him into your hands. Seize the moment. Now's your chance. And when David cut off that piece of his garment, his heart convicted him. He went back to the thing that he knew. And that is that I didn't put Saul in this position. I didn't give him this title or this seat or this throne. God gave it to him. 
And so it's not up to me to remove him. If I'm going to trust God, it's going to have to be revealed in those moments that I don't get it. I don't understand why this is happening. Lord, this is your guy. And some people would even get mad at God in this moment. Your guy's hurting me. Your guy's done this to me. And it would be so easy to get mad at Saul and then eventually get mad at God. If you hadn't given him this position, he wouldn't have wounded me like this. And, and it's just, at this moment, we have to keep our hearts guarded with the word of God and with the love of God and let it, let it be our standard and our support. And not yield to the same trap where all of a sudden now it becomes this ongoing conflict. And every step of the way, we feel justified to do what we're doing because of how we're being treated and how it impacts our lives. And yet in this moment, most of all, when we don't understand why this is going or why it's happening, it's our opportunity to prove that, Lord, even though I don't get it, I still trust you. These moments, they're, they're determining moments in our walk. Some people have encountered these moments and forever made a decision not to trust the Lord and walked away, not just from that person, but from God's plan. People have left churches. They've left callings. They've left things that they knew that God had spoken in their hearts years before that. Because in that moment, they didn't understand fully. And, and all they could see was that this guy's in the position that he's in. and hurts me because you put him there. Instead of trusting the Lord and saying, Lord, I don't fully understand that, but I know you love me. And I know you got me. So number two is this. Is the challenge is, is don't fall into the same trap. Luke 4, Jesus said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. Listen to this, to set at liberty them that are bruised. That Jesus said he was anointed to do all these things, heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, preach the gospel to the poor, but set at liberty them that are bruised. The, the other things in there, I, I kind of knew what they meant, but I'm like, what does that mean to set at liberty them that are bruised? And so I, I looked it up and began to do a study on it. And one of the meanings is, is that those that have been knocked around and wounded and hurt by life, to set them at liberty. That the wounds that they've had have gathered and they've held them captive. And that the anointing of God, one of the reasons it's there is to set you at liberty to that. So it doesn't dictate and control and determine our lives. And if that's you today, that the Holy Spirit is here to, to set you at liberty from your past, from what's been done to you, so that you don't respond to every moment out of your own insecurities. If there's a healing that Jesus does in you, that that becomes a part of your story, but it's shared from a place of how far grace will go to resurrect and restore you, no matter how deeply you've been hurt as opposed to it being your identity for the rest of your life. He'll heal that. He'll restore you 
He'll set at liberty, free you from that wound, from that bruise that you've taken in your life so that you don't have to yield to it. I didn't do this in the first service, but I just feel compelled to do this right now. I, I want you to close your eyes for just a minute. If I'm speaking to you specifically, I just want you to take this moment and think about that area in your life that's it's a bruise. It's, you were wounded somewhere along the way and it's just held you captive. That Jesus wants to heal you there in this moment. You just, you're just there in that secret place that only you and he see you. Just take this moment and just try to quit hiding it from his purpose and from his direction. Just open it up and make it vulnerable in that moment with him and ask him to heal that. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for anybody right now in this moment that there's this bruise that they've had. Maybe it was given to them years ago and it's held them captive. I pray in Jesus' name that there would be a healing that takes place. They would be set free. They'd be, have liberty from that moment in Jesus' name. Amen. So number two is don't fall into the same trap. Let's look at number three and we'll close with this. 2 Samuel 6. So David becomes king. Saul ends up, along with somebody's help, in a sense kind of takes his own life. And, and David becomes king. And one of the, David is actually married to Saul's daughter of all people. And it's kind of interesting. You know, there's a, mo there's a season in their life where like Saul's daughter loved David with all her heart. But then she got to a place where she despised him. I mean, what a journey, right? I mean, one day she loves him, and then years later, she despises him. And so we're going to read this account. They're bringing back the Ark of the Covenant, which was God's presence in the Old Testament. They're bringing it back to Jerusalem. It says, then King David was told, I'm sorry, verse um, 12. Then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the Ark of God. So David went there and brought the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and blowing of ram's horns. So they're bringing back the ark of the covenant. They tried it once before, but they just, there were some things that just weren't right and ended up being this big mess. You know, it was just a horrible thing. And so David said, we're not going to do that. So they had a guy named Obed-Edom. If you're wondering for things to be thankful for, just thank your parents. They never named you Obed-Edom. And so, so, but they let it stay at his house where God's presence was there. And his house was so blessed that it made it to Jerusalem that somebody said to the king one day, have you heard about Obed-Edom's household? The ark is there and how blessed he is. And David's like, we got to bring the, the ark here. So they did some things where they just, they studied some things, did some things where they began to bring back. And every six steps, they would sacrifice uh, you know, something, and then they would all worship and praise God. And sometimes David would be so overcome with jubilation and just excitement for God's presence that he would just dance 
you know, just all, you know, just kind of dance all over the place. And this guy was not, he wasn't soft by any, he was a warrior guy. I mean, he was, you know, he was a dude that stood up in front of Goliath and challenged him and cut that dude's head off and held it up and like, this guy is who you were afraid of. So there wasn't anything about him that was, that you couldn't look at and go, eh. I mean, he was, he was that guy. And yet here he is, kind of the picture of masculinity for that day. And he's so excited in the presence of God that he doesn't let the opinion of other people get in the way of what, of what a real worshiper does, that he just, he worshiped God. And so it goes on to say, but as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. When he had finished his sacrifice, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Then he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people returned to their homes. Now, they had so, it was such a great time that before they left, David's like, this was so great. Y'all take some bread home with you. I mean, we've had good services, but it's never been so good where I'm like, hey, go to the grocery store and get everybody bread. We're giving them bread. They're going to go home like this. So, I mean, it was obviously like a great service. And so he goes home ready to bless his family and to celebrate with them. And can you imagine when you walk in, you have an expectation of one thing and something else happens? That was David's day. So it says this, that... Uh, it says, when David returned home to bless his own family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me. Everybody say, chose me. Chose me. You did. You did good. That's good. That's all right, man. It's good. Well, here's the deal, right? is that she's criticizing him. And, you know, and he's trying to worship God and, and she's trying to belittle what he did and trying to shame him. Isn't it wild that whenever people are insecure that they'll come after us, they'll judge our motives, they'll question us and things that we want to celebrate, all of a sudden we feel this shame? I remember that Ashley had written this thing one time and, and, um, and it, you know, it was one of those moments that she was, she was really, she was innocent in what she was doing, but it, it hit somebody's insecurity and they came after it and they mentioned something that she, she had celebrated and embraced in her life. And I told her, I said, you gotta, here's the thing you have to understand is that sometimes people in their pain will always try to shame and criticize something that the Lord has given you that's precious to you. And they're gonna try to disqualify you and here's the thing that anybody ever wants to say that you're not worthy of this, instead of defending it, agree with them. You're not. It's the grace of God. It's undeserved. None of us are worthy of it. You're right, I'm not. If it was based upon my performance, I'd have fired me a long time ago. But David looked at her and he said, you thought this was silly? He said, man, he said, you haven't seen anything yet. Because I'm doing it before the Lord and not before you, I'm gonna keep doing it. And God, not you, not your father, not even the people, God chose me. And that's where my confidence is, is that God chose me. So on the days that everybody celebrates me, I don't put too much emphasis on their voice of approval because they didn't pick me, he did. 
And then on the day where everybody criticizes and questions my right to be in the position that I'm in, then I don't let their voices be the thing that discouraged me and caused me to give up because they didn't choose me, he did, and that's where my confidence is. And so we have that and we embrace that. David retorted, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I'm willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes, even by you. But those servant girls who you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished because God chose me. And the way we stay free from our insecurities is we never get our eyes on ourselves. We never take those moments where we disqualify ourselves because we're not perfect and because we make mistakes and that type of thing. But even more dangerous than that, we never get to a point where we think we deserve it because of how good we are. It's always because it's an undeserved grace that God has given us. That he and his goodness chose you to do exactly that. Well, you don't deserve this. You're exactly right. I don't. But God chose me. Number three is this. You can only find your security in the Lord's hands. You can't find it in a spouse. You can't find it in a friend. You can't find it in a calling or in an achievement. You can't find it in your, what you've done in your past or who you think you'll be in your future. You can only find your security in God's hands because any of those other things could leave or turn their back on you in a moment's notice. And if your security is in that, then your security goes away and you begin to blame and begin to feel undeserving. You begin to step back and begin to fall away from what God has given you. And you begin to justify doing anything that you can to somebody else. But the minute that you realize, my security is in God's hands. He chose me. David was so confident of that that whenever his son Absalom tried to uh, revolt against him, and they were talking to him, that David, he had a strategy. He was giving him a strategy. But he says, then, king then, then the king instructed Zadok to take the ark of God back into the city. He said, if the Lord sees fit, David said, he will bring me back to see the ark and the tabernacle again. But if he's through with me, then let him do what seems best to him. Notice my security is not even in this throne that I have. My security is in God. And if I'm not supposed to be there, then I trust him. I would rather be in his presence in the wilderness than out of his presence in the palace. Our confidence is in him. And to understand that some people have not recognized that yet. And so in their insecurity, they mistreat us, they criticize us, they, they shame us, they, you know, they don't celebrate anything. And, and it becomes very personal, especially when it's people that are close to us, maybe even in our own house. If we're looking to them for validation and looking to them you know, for approval and that's what secures us in our place, then we can fall into the trap. But if we understand that I'm here because of God, no matter what they think, then we're secure in our calling. I want you to, just, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. And I want us to just, maybe you're that person that you're dealing with mistreatment because of somebody's insecurity in your life. Maybe at a job, maybe in your home, that it's hard to find, you know, and uh, people around you, sometimes you're like, you should be for me in this. At whatever you're dealing with. Let's just, let's just take a moment. And, and then if, you're in, if you've been in that season where because of 
pain and not because you're a bad person. I think we've all had this moment where we're not the one that's suffering, but we're the, we've let our insecurity get in the way. You find yourself not celebrating with your friends and people around you when they've won. Ask God to do a work in you for him to help you. Let's just spend a moment with God.